you're on the panel on RNZ National. Wallace Chapman here, Professor Ella Henry and Chris Finlayson with me. Thanks for your advice on how to avoid bunkers and golf. Some of it quite technical, so <laughs> uh, I'll read out a couple later on in the programme. Anyway, uh, due to a washout, State Highway 25A closed between Kirikiri Valley Road, Kōpū and Pukatui Road, Hikawai. Now the closure is expected to remain in place overnight. Do delay your journey or detour via State Highway 25. And on weather, more bad weather for Tarafati. Met Service has issued a heavy rain warning for the region as it recovers from Cyclone Hail. The warning is in place from 3pm tomorrow for Gisborne north of Tolaga Bay until 6am Thursday with up to 90 millimetres of rain expected. On the Tarafati Civil Defence's official Facebook page, it said... This is not what we need. To give us the latest, we have Gisborne Mayor Riet Stoltz. Riet, kia ora. Yes, absolutely not the news we are. Yeah. This is not what we need indeed. Now, how was the recovery going uh, so far after Cyclone Hail? So we've been flat out. Some of our last communities were only connected up yesterday. So we've got a region our roading network is really, really fragile. Teams have been working non-stop. So again, we are asking our community to prepare for the worst and we can hope for the best. So what do residents need to know? So what we are asking our residents is to listen to the radio, the news, follow our Civil Defence Facebook page because we update it as Met Service update us. And as um, information come into us about surface flooding or slips or other dangerous uh, events that might happen that be aware of. We are also asking our residents, please have two to three days worth of food because what we've seen in our last event that some communities were cut off for quite a few days, they didn't have access to FPOS or any electricity or any cell phone coverage. So our community is very resilient. They know how to prepare. So we are asking everyone you know what to do, trust yourselves, and also reach out to your neighbours just to make sure we are all safe. And you'd be familiar with this part of the uh, country, uh, Ella, uh, as, uh, as, actually, as I have, beautiful part of the country, but gosh, it does get hit like um, some of the parts. And the concern, of course, is this is just the beginning. Yeah. If, if the ocean temperature continues to rise at its current rate, then we can expect this to become so much more of a norm. And we forget that isolated parts of this country have many of the characteristics of the third world, a lack of infrastructure, isolated rural communities. So, you know, there needs to be a lot more thought put into how we maintain no. connections and protect each other. Actually, we talked yesterday, Riet, about, uh, you know, the forestry slash and the really ongoing effect of that. I mean, some of the build-up is just extraordinary. What of that and what of that issue? So that is a big issue, a discussion we need to have going forward. What's currently happening is not sustainable. Those are discussions to have yeah. with government as well because we are talking about the national um, uh, planning tools that we have that we do know is not fit for purpose for the Tairawhiti at this day. So those are discussions we will be having with the government going forward because our community, we can't carry on like this. 
That will be surely to be revisited, that issue. But for now, Riet, kia ora. Thank you for your time. That's Gisborne Mayor Riet Stoltz. And uh, we will uh, be, uh, RNZ will be across that uh, into the evening and tomorrow, of course, right from early on. And needless to say, uh, Chris, you know, you had recently, didn't you, Nelson, the Nelson region, being really <laughs> hugely infected by, affected by these both floods and slips, the might I flooding. And the question will be asked soon, eh, how much further these uh, communities can take, particularly with the sort of funding that's needed in the uh, new age of climate. Oh, yeah, my heart goes out to Gisborne. I mean, it's just such a delightful town. It's incidentally got one of the best bookshops in New Zealand, yep. the newest bookshop. Uh, and it's a, they're wonderful people and something simply has to be done about forestry up there because that's simply intolerable and I'm sick of all the weasel words from the forestry companies. But the point you make about infrastructure in sort of the more remote areas of New Zealand um, is is very true. Uh, I think that after what Gisborne's been through or Tairafati's been through, there has to be a real consolidated and concentrated effort to get that roading right uh, and to provide them with the infrastructure which they deserve, because the further you get away from Wellington, the more the bureaucrats forget about you. I can tell you that was my experience as Treaty Minister. I couldn't agree more. And, of course, we're in that sweet spot in the lead-up to elections where, where you know, hopefully politicians throw throw all sorts of sweeties our way, and now's the time for us to lobby them about these very issues. Well, I don't want these. I think that there are historical issues in Tairafati that need to be addressed. Okay. And one is the awful road. And the second one is forestry because the forestry company's practices are unacceptable and they cause misery to the good folk of Tolaga Bay. It is not fair. It has to stop. Well, we talked to the chief executive of the Environmental Defence Society yesterday who was actually calling for a commission of inquiry. Uh, into that, we might follow that uh, issue up um, next like week. Gary Taylor, yeah, yeah, yeah well, he's absolutely right. Thirteen pass for the panel. Now, there's been a. By the way, thank you for uh, your night class. This wonderful text coming through. I did an eight-week night class on bread making at Green Bay High School in the nineties. That changed my life on many levels. Kia There's been a large increase of people applying for jobs, but the number of jobs on offer has dropped. Trade Me Jobs quarterly report for December shows a 38% increase in the number of job applications per listing. But the number of job ads fell 12% compared to the year before. So what are we seeing here? Trade Me Jobs spokesperson Patrick Cairns is with us. Hi, Patrick. Are you there? I am. Can you hear me? Hello, yes. Must be music to the ears of employers who have been facing worker shortages. Yeah, certainly it's um, a bit of a turnaround from from the previous couple of quarters. Um, Yeah, applications up 38% year on year compared to the same same period in the year prior. I think um, looking back at the year prior, also important to consider kind of what was going on during, during that period as the borders were closed and, um, you know, businesses, employers were, were scrambling to find talent. Um, certainly welcome, welcome news. The applications are on the rise across the board. What's happening with salaries? So salaries in Q4, which is October to December 2022, 
also reached an all-time high, um, a new all-time high. So a couple of regions in particular led the charge there. Um, the Gisborne region was up 8%, um, and Hawke's Bay followed pretty closely up 7%. That's interesting uh, sort of research, isn't it, Ella? Uh, interesting uh, snapshot to well, see. I think it's also part of a bigger picture around, you know, that there are supply chain issues all around the world. There are shortages of professional staff all around the developed world. And, and we're kind of the tail of that. We know we desperately need more professionals yeah. and the salaries have to be paid. So this is a really interesting phenomenon. Is it that businesses are pulling back and being more conservative right. because we may be going into a recession, in which case these are these are kind of spurious statistics? Patrick? Yeah, look, listings um, were down or, or kind of slowed down. I think important, again, to consider some of the record high job listings that we were looking at in the same period the year prior. You know, we were looking at sugar rushes of, of you know, nobody entering, entering the country, businesses scrambling to find talent, advertising a lot. Um, so when we look at listings, you know, important to consider that we are looking at all-time highs. And while they have slowed down, there's certainly still a lot of opportunity out there. Okay, Chris Finlayson. Yeah, I'm not so worried about professionals. I mean, there are so many lawyers entering the legal profession, and they're like locusts, they're everywhere. But it's um, it's the people uh, who are working in restaurants and so on. There's just a desperate shortage of them. And one of my favourite watering holes in Petoni, La Bella Italia, which should be one of the most successful eateries in Wellington, is having to shut three or four nights a week because there aren't enough staff. So I'm damned if I know what's going on. But something's not working. Gosh, that's um, that's pretty significant, isn't it, Patrick? If a well-known and well-loved eatery has to shut, uh, you know, uh, several nights a week, pretty big. Yeah, it is, you know, and, and there's no doubt that demand for, you know, hospitality staff, you know, is still sky high. But the good news for businesses is that over the last quarter, we have seen applications beginning to rise. You know, people are entering the country um, over the summertime and starting to apply for jobs, um, brushing up on their resumes and, and getting into the workforce. Yeah. Now, um, what can we expect, do you think, later in 2023, Patrick? Yeah, we, can, we expect some kind of continued economic uncertainty. You know, interest rates are still very high. Um, there's an upcoming election we expect to see the, the job market remain pretty strong, um, but certainly not at the highs that we've seen over the last 12 to 18 months. All right. Very good. Thank you for that. That's uh, Patrick Cairns, Trade Me Jobs spokesperson. Do you think we'll ever um, get a handle or handle soon on the staffing shortage? It's, uh, I mean, it's huge, isn't it? I know, and I know that we are competing on a global level. I mean, gosh, look at Canada. They are looking to fill a million job vacancies. It's quite extraordinary. But you've got places in Queenstown who are actually uh, um, offering a five grand bonus. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the, the big problem I feel is that um, 
both political parties have dropped the ball on helping to train um, and succession planning for future generations of professionals. Uh, you know, it's exorbitantly expensive to get the kind of qualifications you need for most professions. Um, and, and our best and brightest are often being scooped up by overseas. So we really need to be investing. And this fits in with your night class uh, topic. We need to be better prepared as a nation to train up future generations of tradespeople and professions and, and across all spectrum of, of jobs because we're going to become increasingly isolated otherwise. Maybe we'll fit that into your predictions of 2023 and what we need to do as a nation because we talk about that toward the end. But speaking of night class, amazing stories coming through. Michael in Christchurch says, regarding the night school conversation, I did two terms doing woodwork and made a serving tray chopping board in a mosaic pattern, an easel and a bird nest which is hanging outside my kitchen window and was very quickly taken over by a pair of chaffinch. Also a cheese-making course, so I make my own feta and brie. Many years ago, my mother did cake decorating and taught me and I ended up making my own wedding cake. My nana was a dressmaker and taught me how to sew. I believe I'm self-sufficient. <laughs> <laughs> this person will survive the future. Wow. What a survivalist. A nightclass survivalist. And look, thank you for all your uh, bunker responses. Here's a couple for you, Chris. They're very good. Uh, Chris, keep your head still till you've finished your swing. The ball is the yolk and a fried egg. Hit the edge of the egg, Chris. Further questions, ask Mark Leishman. He's seen plenty of bunkers. <laughs> No, they, that that uh, fried egg one's very sound. There's only one problem with it, Wallace. Yeah. I just never do it. Yeah, right. And uh, Wallace, the solution is for Chris to avoid landing in bunkers is to aim at them. My rationale is he's aiming for the green and his shot goes elsewhere, causing him grief. If he misses both the bunkers and the green, his shot of the grass is highly likely to get a better result. Kia ora, Alan. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Thank you. Don't know what you're talking about. Never played golf, but um, yeah, how to miss bunkers. We talk about that today. To this, a new, a la very large new alliance is calling on all political parties to promise action on housing and to prioritise a pollution-busting reno programme to help improve 200,000 New Zealand homes. The alliance, it's big. It includes the Asthma and Respiratory Foundation, Bunnings, Baileys, Vector and many more. Housing was the second most important issue for New Zealanders, according to polling by Curia Market Research. So people do take notice of this. Now, our next guest says that the size of the alliance shows that there is a staggering level of concern. With us is Andrew Eagles. He's the chief executive of the Green Building Council, beaming in from uh, Queenstown Airport. Kia ora, Andrew. Kia ora. Great to be speaking to you today, Wallace. Uh, very good. You're coming in loud and clear, Andrew. Quite a body of organisations coming together, 22 in all, so hard to ignore. Tell us in your words, what's the issue here? So in, in New Zealand, we have very poor quality existing homes. So the, the latest census found over 30% damp and mouldy. For a long time, we've had low insulation levels. You couple that with poor ventilation and you have significant issues. So this leads to about over 30,000 kids a year entering our health system for some reason. We have one of the highest respiratory issues in in the OECD. 
And we're calling for political parties to commit to deep retrofit 200,000 homes uh, and make a, make a pledge to make that happen within six months of office. And the really exciting thing is that this is happening throughout the OECD um, in the EU. Most EU countries have deep retrofit home, uh, programs to significantly lower cost of living and energy bills and improve health and, and reduce carbon emissions. And the thing I'm most excited about, in one day, we've tripled the numbers of signatories to sign up to this. So since we launched yesterday, we've had over another 50 signatories to sign up and support this call to Oh, really? Yeah, quite a body. 22 yesterday, 60 now. And uh, as across the board, it does include Bailey's, Victor Bunnings, including yourselves. But uh, is there not the Healthy Homes initiatives? Is there not the fact that landlords have had to insulate their rentals, put in heat pumps? Isn't this stuff already in play? So what we have, sorry about the background, is we have a rather timid response thus far. So when you look at uh, the improvements that are being called to be made, it's pretty basic insulation levels, maybe some heating. And, and this, this call to action does two things. It goes far deeper to significantly reduce energy bills, improve the health of the home. And secondly, it hits a far broader range of um, households. So if you look at Ireland, for instance, they have a trajectory to deep retrofit. This is what this type of program is. Okay, right. Half a million homes. Half a million homes, right? So not not 10 or 15,000 a year. You're talking hundreds and hundreds of thousands of homes and really gear that up. Lots and lots of jobs. Great for just transition. Significantly reduce energy bills really drive change in the, in the energy market as well. Okay, so kicking off uh, panel two uh, of the year, and this will most likely be a significant election issue. You're here, Chris Finlayson. What are you hearing when you hear this? Ireland's doing it, retrofitting what? Deep retrofit of half a million homes. What are you hearing here? Well, I'm hearing that we've got lousy stock, actually. I'll never forget meeting a woman in Ottawa in the Department of Indigenous Affairs and she said she spent a year in Wellington uh, and it was the coldest year of her life. We don't build well uh, and I do observe though that in 2008 Jerry Brownlee when he was Minister of Energy started a warm-up New Zealand project and we really got stuck into insulation. Mm-hmm. I think that after six years of this government they need to be held to account. They're great at talking about Kiwi Build and all sorts of other measures. Their delivery sucks uh, and it's a very legitimate political debate uh, and this government needs to be held to account for its failures. Do you agree with any of that, Andrew? Well, I do think, that, yeah, it's good to see uh, Minister Brownlee's work then started, which has continued. Again, this is relatively rudimentary. If you look at the, the deep retrofit programs of Italy, France, Germany, you're talking quite a significant change. You're talking uh, windows, wall insulation as well, quite a complete change to the, to the house. And I think uh. that's the step up from, from warm-up Kiwi homes, which is a bit of insulation and a heat pump to quite a fundamental now I know what you're so, talking so about. Yeah. yeah. Okay, a deep retro. We're not talking about just a heat pump and a bit of insulation. We're talking something really uh, a lot more significant, Ella. Yeah. That's I, right. I, Transformative. Yep. I, I, I 
totally support the co-papa of this alliance. And what I find best about it is that it's organisations that cover the whole political spectrum. So it's not just a bunch of lefties or conservatives or whatever. It, this is this is a wide yes, range yeah. of political viewpoints, totally focused on something that is an absolutely critical factor moving forward. So whichever party or coalition of parties come into power this year, I hope that they have been heavily influenced by the, the sheer force of this particular alliance. It's such a critical Yeah, issue. we'll come back to this. We'll go back to um, uh, Bailey's on this actually later in the week or uh, next week. Andrew, um, have you cotted it? Because it sounds like an enormous expense. Mm. So uh, you're looking at twenty to to $50,000 or so per, per house. Uh, that all pays back, right? So Dr. Philippa Howden-Chapman, one of the most world-renowned experts on health and housing, has found that for every dollar you spend on insulation, you get $5 return in uh, health reduction in health costs. We know that this delivers. We know that our the health of our, um, uh, our mokapuna, uh, our tamariki, is absolutely frightening and that we can be far more productive as a nation if we stop having people go off sick. We also know with COVID, we want healthier, warmer homes. And and the other point worth noting, some great research from uh, Michael Jack, professor at Otago University, found that if we deep retrofit our homes, we can significantly reduce the dry year problem and turn off Huntley Power Station. So, so that one of the most fundamental challenges we have, cost of living crisis in a low carbon future, and this helps drive all of those and deliver health. So Do you think it's I, worth it, Chris? You, you got uh, 20K minimum per house for uh, 200,000 plus homes. What a massive upfront cost that would be. Oh, in principle, I totally agree. And I think, it's, um, I think housing is going to be a, a very valid subject for debate in this election year. Um, and what this government promised and what it's delivered. And I'm deeply touched by the fact that lawyers for climate change have come out of their homes in Parnell and Hearn Bay to sign up for this. I think it's wonderful. So where to next? <laughs> so where, where to next is, is we get all of the political parties to commit to this. They cannot ignore this, right? That courier poll you talked about, number one was cost of living. Imagine if you get 50% off your energy bill, which has hugely climbed in the last eight years. Massive increases. People are making decisions about whether they eat or whether they heat their homes. Second, housing. So if you hit this as a political party, national or Labour, you're helping people with those two main issues they have in those polls. Okay. So, so you're on a bit of a roll now, uh, Andrew. You've got uh, how many organisations? Did you say 50 to 50 to 60? 70 now. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So a, a, a significant alliance, cross-spectrum. We'll come back to this. Uh, will you be wanting a meeting with the minister? What will you be wanting to do very shortly? So we want a meeting with ministers and, and the political strategists at the other political party to say we want this front and centre over the next, in the build-up to this election. It's crucial if they want to get votes. All right. That's Andrew Eagles, the Chief Executive of the Green Building Council there. So if you missed that, that's a new, very large alliance calling on all political parties to promise action on housing. But what is not controversial, Ella, aside from cost, is that there is that direct correlation, isn't there, between, you know, people's health and dampness. Look, the, being able to grow up in a dry home 
Come on. As a nation, we managed to muster the resources necessary to negotiate the pandemic. The government made a commitment and found the money to keep businesses in place, to keep families safe. So we know we can do this. It just requires the political will. Very good. Uh, Meanwhile, there is a little bit of a a chat about uh, moving the capital city. Dawn is so hot on this issue. Um, She says she is writing, as we speak, a letter to the Waikato Times. It'll probably be in the Saturday uh, on why Hamilton City should be the capital city of New Zealand. More on that uh, very shortly.